Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's episode is all about practice that's actually going to help you kill elk. Josh and I are going to go over my 2019 hunt and how that panned out, the importance of shot sequence, why you should intentionally make bad shots, and finish with really realistic hunting scenarios. Hey Josh, how goes it? Goes good. Yeah, I've been shooting the new arrows. I got a quiver. I got the tight spot, um, five arrow quiver. Nice. So I've been shooting with that. It's, it's like, and I put four arrows in there and just practicing with four in there. Perfect. It's so heavy now though. <laughs> oh man, well that's spot on for today's podcast. We're talking about realistic practice that actually helps you kill elk. So you practicing with arrows in your quiver. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. I got that tip from the, uh, from Wayne at, uh, archery only. He yeah. said shoot with four in there. It's a good tip, man. Cause it's definitely changes the balance of your bow and how you shoot and everything. So mm-hmm. everything you do that's more realistic, the better, but, uh, we've actually got a fun one today. Maybe we start off with a story, which is a little unusual. We can talk through the 2019 elk experience. Um, the reason being is I'm a really big advocate for practicing the exact way you plan to hunt. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of guys will go down to the range and shoot you know, 20 yards flat, which, uh, that does make you a better shooter and it can help with certain things, but it'd be like, you know, driving a golf club to learn how to putt, right? right. Your, uh, the elk hunting scenarios are just so different and crazy. And I can hand on heart say, um, at least one of the elk I've killed is a hundred percent because of the way I practiced. And that was last year. So it'd be cool to talk, talk guys through that and walk you through it just so you're aware of like what it's going to be like and what kind of situations you'll have to deal with yeah do, are you going to talk first about what you practiced and then share the story of the result or go backwards yeah maybe we just do the, the story first and just walk okay. through it and then like that'll help illustrate a bunch of the points i'm going to talk about or teach you after this awesome um, yeah so 2019 last year uh we got out to idaho a little late it was like two or three in the afternoon uh, opening day. We're all jazzed. We're super excited to get back up in there. And this is an area we'd been in, you know, three years now, I think. So a while. Mm-hmm. So we kind of know it well, which is really great for elk hunting because you, you learn where they're, the elk go to and where to intercept them and all that good stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Margaret and I packed up, you know, sighted the bows in, did all the stuff, uh, hiked up into kind of this little side valley that uh, we've always known that there's two huge wallows and a bunch of elk in. And I, I think what happens with these is, let's see if we can visualize this. It's like a little box canyon. You know, box canyon means you can't go out the back of it. It's like walking into a box, right? Uh, but the elk kind of come down both sides of it. It's really steep. And they kind of bed up there on top of the ridges during the day. But at the bottom, there's this beautiful, super green meadow with these two massive wallows on either side of it and a creek that comes out of the the valley. So we knew they they tend to come in there and it's really close to the truck so it's a good place to kind of start and acclimate and see if they're elk around um we got back up in there and there was definitely elk sign so you know we'll talk about this one later but we i'm pretty comfortable camping close to elk so we you know step back two or three hundred yards down the creek which i love camping next to creeks too because they kind of kill your scent they kill your noise which really panned out in this situation um and set up the tent and kind of got ready for the evening hunt so it was, what time was it? It was like 5.30. I have to look at my phone to be sure. But you know, normally I'm out on an evening hunt at like 6-ish, 5.36-ish. But we were running a little bit behind, right? Because we we're packing up that day, first day in. 
and uh, we well, let's see if I can remember the exact sequence of events. We uh, put the water in our dehydrated meals, right? And this is our first time using some of the Heather's Choice stuff, and it takes like 25 minutes. So we were both kind of jonesing to get moving, but you had to wait for that to to fully cook. And so we sat down to to dinner. Let me see if I can paint the full picture. We're we're camped on a creek, and I'm facing down the creek. Margaret's facing up the creek, looking straight at me about five feet away. And as we're eating, I kind of have my spoon halfway down to my my little mountain house or uh, my Heather's Choice meal here. And I've got it halfway to my mouth, and I hear this like snap, right? And if as you get into the wilderness, you'll learn there's a big difference between snap and snap. There's a lot of different things going on in the woods, right? Uh, whether it's like a little chipmunk dropping something, it's but this was like that heavy weighted kind of like low snap, right? Um, and it was like something in my brain within a second or two was like, oh, that's an elk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I dropped the meal <laughs> and the spoon, just like dropped it on the ground and uh, looked over and a cow elk came ripping by my, the right side, kind of up uh, in the woods. And we're, you know, we're on the creek and it's really thick, really thick timber. Um, and I intentionally kind of camped a little bit off of the main trail for the elk run a little down closer to the creek, but there was one that did run fairly near us, uh, which in hindsight wasn't the brightest move. It was kind of the only area we could be. Uh, and the elk were coming down it, down the creek out of that canyon, strangely enough. And that the cow had spooked. She ran, you know, instantly ran around uh, behind Margaret. So I'm looking down the creek straight at her. She's behind Margaret looking up at me and sat there for like, I uh, felt like two minutes, but it must have been five or 10 seconds. And while she's doing that, she kind of woofed at me, you know, just ran off. And I'm like, oh man, because I really wanted her to get Margaret to get her first elk, get a good shot at it. And it would have been a perfect situation. But kind of right in the meantime, uh, a bull, like a small raghorn bull, um, came running around the right side, kind of where she'd been, about 30 yards up the hill. And he ran right behind this really thick cluster of trees and stopped. And uh, his head was behind it. He's kind of swiveling around. You're looking. You could tell he's nervous and he doesn't know where we're at. And he's just trying to figure it out. Um, so I'm sitting, fortunately, you know, I'm a left-handed shooter. Since I'm sitting downhill with my shoulder to the right, also very fortunate. I think it's subconscious at this point, but I'd left my bow like a foot or two next to my my body. So I just leaned over and grabbed the bow. Um you know, it kind of went into autopilot at that point. We'll talk about why that's important because there's a heck of a lot going on in your brain at the moment. But you know, got the got there out of the quiver, knocked it the right side up, put it on the rest, checked that my slider was on, got the release aid extended on my hand. Um, you got the rangefinder up and really quickly was able to kind of click, you know, click it and say, okay, he's at you know 34 yards. So I kept getting, you know, a good tip for you with rangefinders too is you know, you're ranging something standing behind trees that's really hard to do so the first thing you actually want to do is get get the range of the trees because mm. then you know what it is so it's really easy just to hit the trees i'm like okay, those are 26 yards i remember doing that and i kept trying to range between him and then i finally because he's in this little tiny hole and i finally hit him and it said 34 so i knew that okay that's right that's about right that's uh, so like 34 uh Drew the bow, you know, still sitting on my butt with my meal between my legs. <laughs> Drew the bow uh, across, uh, you know, across my chest there, and then kind of went through the shot sequence, which is really funny. Writing the article for this, I literally had to go draw my bow and like think about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I can't really, I can't really remember the steps anymore. But uh, you know, it was it was like ch- checking everything from like your grip is right to hey, that settled in your shoulders down. You got back tension on it. Your fingers fully curled around the trigger, like all the little things. And uh, there was this perfect kind of four to six inch hole. It's hard to say because I couldn't go up there and measure it afterwards. Or I could have, but that's not what you're going to do. Um, and he was fortunately facing away from me, kind of quartering away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I couldn't quite see where it was in his body, but I could see ribs coming out the other side of the tree. So I'm like, okay, at least it's, it's at least halfway up his rib cage. And I know it's at least halfway up his body. I'm like, that's a good shot. And he's quartering away. So it's only going to go more forward into his body cavity. Right. You can figure there's a lot going through your head, right? Like all these little things. Yeah. And in addition to that, I'm like, man, do I want to tag out? This is night one. Um, and I know he's a good, you know, he's a good bull, but he's not like a giant. Um, I've always kind of struggled with that, but I'm going to be an even worse trophy hunter after this one. Cause he tasted so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I remember distinctly thinking, hey, Oh man, Margaret's here. And we really want to get her one. Like, if I put this on the ground, then I've got a whole week to, to help do that. So I'm like, absolutely. Let's make it happen. And, uh, arrow zipped out. Good shot. And he was down, I think it was like 90 yards later. So it was quite a like crazy experience. And really, I think what for today's combo on practice, like it, there was a lot of really unique things about that, right? It happened totally out of the blue, which is really common with elk stuff. Like they just kind of, these situations come out of nowhere. Um, I was definitely didn't have the time to prepare my position. And if I had of had of prepared, he would have freaked out. He would have known where I was, right? So I had to do it quickly and quietly. Mm-hmm. And it was a really odd shot. I'm like sitting down, I'm shooting uphill through a really tiny little gap in a tree 30 yards away. Um, and I kind of had to have the brain power to be able to think about a lot of really difficult decisions, right? You know, yeah, facing away, where's the shot gonna hit? Do I want to do this? the first night there's a lot of things ripping through your head so you know I'll stop talking because i've been talking a, a while here but i think the takeaway from that for me is i'm 100 convinced the way i practice is what led me to be able to be successful in that situation mm-hmm. because my brain could tune out the process of actually shooting and i knew since it's uphill and it's this way how to slightly manipulate the bow so it's going to work better and kind of preserve my form and so that's like that is really often the difference between getting an elk or not is like are you totally prepared and ready for that situation and yeah. I think a lot of guys including myself have got into those before and they're like oh it was an impossible shot or it was just too quick or crazy but like you don't really have the ability to realize how you weren't prepared unless it's kind of goes automatic if that makes sense yeah, that makes sense. And there's one detail that uh, in that story that I wanted to emphasize, which was you had your so you had your um, release already on your wrist. Yep. Do you wear that the entire like ten days that you're hunting? Every waking second. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I learned that one the hard way too. Um, you guys, I get a lot of flack because I still use a trigger release. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, we can do a whole nother thing on this at some point and my, my thoughts on releases, but there's ways to shoot a trigger release, just like a, you know, a thumb release or a back tension or anything like that. Um, and so I'm not really that worried about accuracy, but the thing that makes me so excited about those is they're like strapped onto your wrist. And the one I've actually got has a thing that allows you to fold it up on your inside of your wrist. Mm-hmm. So I literally never take it off because 100% of the time it's there, it's folded and I actually practice unfolding it before shots at the bow range so that 
it's kind of part of my sequence. Nice. Um, and it's just always ready. Cause that, yeah, that's one of the biggest pants down moments in bow hunting is like fishing for a release or a range finder. Those are like the two yeah. pieces of gear that aren't on the bow that you're kind of always just scrabbling for. Right. So. Yeah. So that's the first little detail I wanted to, to catch right there. And then the second is that you have to make all these decisions within the matter of seconds, right? Like how many seconds do you think it was before you saw the bull and before like you released the arrow? Oh, it definitely was under 25, but I think the shot sequence itself, like from grabbing the bow to releasing was 10, 10, 12. Wow. Right. And that's, that's quick. Cause you got a lot of little things to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you know, arrow out of quiver, knock on string, right side up, rest up, check that slider's good, latch on to, you know, range it, latch on to D loop, pull it back, settle on this, do that. You know what I mean? There's like 30 steps in there. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, one other thing, like when you mentioned the, the wrist release too, is the range finder. I'm a pretty big proponent of this one is like always, always, always practice whenever you're practicing with the range finder on, mm -hmm. like on your bino harness like ready to go yeah. because a lot of guys will stick it in their pocket. They'll stick it in their pack. Um, you know, that thing I was talking to you about, I'll eventually write an article on it, but I've done, I've watched so many YouTube videos and I always write down the reason why guys didn't shoot. And the number one reason so far, it's like been 40 or 50 out of a few hundred videos I've watched is uh, it's always range finder. It's range guys just don't oh, know the range wow. of an elk. Yeah. So I actually, you know, have like a, a QU vinyl harness right now that, yeah, you know, it's good, but I actually take a little uh, hair tie mm -hmm. and I like loop it around itself on the left side of that thing. And that's all I use to carry my rangefinder. So I loop my rangefinder around my neck and then put it inside the hair tie on the left side oh. of my bow. So it's always in the exact same spot and super easy to pull out really, really quietly. Like I don't like pouches because yeah. they make this rustling noise and you gotta like, this is just literally right there at all times. So mm -hmm. that's my system. It doesn't have to be yours, but I think, that's a good piece of advice for practicing for you. Nice. Yeah. And I just got a rangefinder, So I hung it around my neck, got the binos, uh, harness there. And I went to the walking range the other day and just practicing with it. Cause that rangefinder is just bouncing around. So yeah, like that hair tie trick. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to talk to you offline after this and take a look at how you do that. Yeah. Well, it's, I think the biggest thing about it is whatever system you figure out, it's just always got to be in the exact same spot. It's like subconsciously mm -hmm. you just reach for it there. Right. And then, also, it's got to not make noise or be annoying because otherwise you're not going to want to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if it's totally locked up, like that's why I like the hair tie. It's like totally isolated in that one little spot. And I don't, you know, if I'm hiking up a 45 degree slope using my hands, it's not slapping out and hitting the rocks or doing yeah. something weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then I have another follow-up question is, yeah. prior to the trip, did you already make the decision in your head? Like if I see something day one, like I'll shoot it. Like doesn't matter if it's cow, doesn't matter if it's bull. If it's cow, no, I'll, I'll shoot a cow only after day three. Or did you already plan all that out? Yeah, that's a really good question, man. Um, I think I always go, yeah, into a trip with a rough idea of what I want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we've talked about this a bunch, but for you especially, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely shoot a cow. Even day one, I've mm -hmm. talked to so many guys out there that are like, oh, I had a cow at day two and I didn't want to do it. And then I you know, then I'm going to really regret it. Like it's day last day. So yeah. but I'm not going to go down that side. That's always your personal decision. Your question was, what do I do for me? I'd said, Hey, I know Margaret's here. Um, I would love to shoot a big bull one day, but for me, just getting an elk is a bonus. And so I knew in my head already that if there was anything that was a legal bull, 
uh, I probably would have taken it just so that I could focus all my time and trying to help her. Yeah. So I kind of do it. that, but it's still the moment it's when you get to that moment, it's becomes really real, right? Cause once mm-hmm. you release that arrow, it's, it's donezo. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like most of that decision was made prior so that in that situation, you didn't have to spend as much time like evaluating the pros and cons. Yeah. I think you're figuring out my general approach to elk hunting in life, which is if you do things ahead of time, it's a lot easier in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier. Right. And so, yeah, I don't, I think if I hadn't have made that decision to some degree before that moment, it might've frozen me up a little bit. Yeah. And so does this mean you practiced a lot sitting down like crisscross applesauce style, like just and pulling back and shooting at a target? Yeah. And you know, so I had actually only practiced kneeling. I'd never practiced sitting down. So I'm like, there's never going to be a situation I'm sitting on my <laughs> ass. And like, the thing about sitting, right. Um, and then we'll talk a lot about shot sequence here, but the thing about sitting is that you can't move, you can't rotate. Right. Mm-hmm. And that you really have a very narrow window. Like if you extend your arm, like you're shooting and move it back, you kind of, you see it only goes about 10 degrees before your shoulder blade locks out and you move it yeah. forward. You can go to 45 degrees, but at that point you, you can't maintain good form. Mm-hmm. So you really only have about a fifth or a sixth of the entire, you know, 360 degrees around you. Um, so I'd say yeah, generally it's a really bad idea, but fortunately I'd practice kneeling, which is basically the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I do practice on my butt because like, I guess it does happen, but <laughs> <laughs> actually my uh, instructor, I've done two one-on-ones with him for archery. And the first time he said actually to practice sitting down and drawing back because apparently it's good for your form because you can't overcompensate with all this rotation or like your hips don't move out and your back goes out so yeah that's you can't use all your other muscle groups to like artificially draw something that's too heavy for you like it's a really good litmus test really good litmus test for if your draw weight's too heavy because if you Mm -hmm. have struggle if you struggle to draw when you're sitting down you can't force it right you basically you can either pull it across your chest you can't yeah Um, totally and that, that could have been a situation. Like I remember when I did draw it across my chest when I was kneeling, I was like, ah, I might just keep it here instead of, cause I thought about bumping up to 70, but I was like, I'll just leave it at 66 mm-hmm. or 67 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, maybe we talk a little bit about shot sequence. Um, so, you know, it's mentioned there's three things to talk shot sequence, why I really think it's a good idea to practice making bad shots. Then we can talk like realistic scenarios, but mm-hmm we kind of hit on it in that story, but that shot sequence is so stinking important because the whole reason you kind of have to have it memorized is you don't want your brain to have to think in the moment. Yeah. Right. Like there's some really cool science. You know, everyone's, most people have heard the term muscle memory, right? Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's not your muscles that have memory. It's this, it's a subconscious, totally different part of your brain that actually remembers things you've done with your musculature. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a separate memory bank. So it's literally like you're running a separate computer or process when you're doing things you practice subconsciously versus like your conscious mind and the thought you're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I I, uh, read this book a long time ago. I think it's called The Inner Game of Tennis. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's about uh, performance psychology. And they had beginners, like brand new beginners. One, One group of them, they taught them the whole thing. Like here, you want to swing it this way. Your wrist needs to be this firm. Here's what it should feel like. Here's how to have that top spin. And here's how to perform like a good shot. Mm-hmm. And then the second group, they had them just watch videos, slow motion, and also in normal speed of really perfect shots that people were doing. And then they had both groups just go and, and try it out. 
And the group who didn't have the instruction, who just subconsciously watched what a good shot looks like, they learned way quicker than the people who had to like, they were trying to consciously think of every step along the way mm-hmm. in, in the performance, yeah. uh, which is super interesting. No, it's so true. It's like when you, and this is how you choke public speaking too, right? You, you overthink it and you think about the exact things you're doing versus like, you're like just using bullet points on a slide and then just letting your brain subconsciously just speak the way you naturally speak. Right. It's totally. kind of the, the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so I think know a lot of guys that have had chokes in the moment I've choked in the moment gun hunting, but that, you know, I got into that before archery. So I got a few of those out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it is because your brain, it's not you, it's not something wrong with you. It's your brain just literally can't process all that stuff coming in at one moment. Yeah, it's called like when people watch like a basketball player choking or, or, or when people say like, oh, he's in his head, yeah. like the, the player's in his head. He's just consciously trying to think and break down every step instead of just trusting the quote unquote muscle memory or brain memory of the unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're both on the same page, like why this is super important, right? You have mm-hmm. to get it to the point. It's automatic for you, especially you're new. Like, dude, the first time an elk walks out, your heart is going to be doing a 220. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be shaking. And so getting it to the point where your brain is just like, I'm good. Like you don't think about it. Yeah. is great. And so you're already doing one part of that, which is you're practicing like a fiend. How many times have you been to the range in the past week? (laughs) This last week, I went to uh, the walking range, like 40 minutes from house, probably three times last week. And then I shoot every day in the backyard. I go to the indoor range. You're an A plus little soldier. You're killing it. (laughs) You know, like you're, you're all over it and that's a huge start. Right. So no matter what guys are doing, I think that's a big one, but I think there's a few things you can do like wow, like the way you practice that really cement this in, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we talked a little bit about one, which is always do stuff the same way every single time. Right, right. I see guys that don't wear binos or a range finder or they put it somewhere different when they go to the range. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, wear your, your backpack or your puffy jacket once to make sure it doesn't interfere. I mean, you don't have to do that because you don't know if you're going to be wearing it either. I'm talking like the basics of the shot, the range finder, the release, like always the exact same place every time because otherwise you have to learn two different processes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, I think just doing stuff that exact same way is really, really going to make it simple. So you don't have to think about it. Um, I also see guys do some funky sequences, like while we're on sequence, like let's go a little bit into the details. Like I'm always a fan for elk hunting, always knock your arrow and set up your rest and get everything good to shoot other than the release latched on before you range. Oh, okay. The reason for that is that elk re- reposition all the time mm-hmm. or you might have to reposition, right? You he's behind a tree and you kind of have to sneak around. Like it's really common. All three elk shots I've had, I've had to move a foot or two to the left or right or four, I think it's four shots now. Four. You have to yeah. move a foot or two to the right. Um, and with that, even when I was sitting on my butt, I had to like hunch over and lean down. Now you don't have to re-range for that, but a lot of the other shots you do. Like you kind of have to reposition then range, right? Oh, or you're sneaking okay. in on something and then you get to the spot you want, then you range. So if ranging comes before that other stuff, now you got to go do it. Gotcha. Uh, so does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So you get the arrow in first, mm-hmm. then range. Okay. So now when I'm practicing and I go to the outdoor range, I'll put the arrow in, then I'll range the target, put the range down, then go through my shot sequence. Yep. And it's, you, cause you might even, you'll see an elk, you'll be a hundred yards away from him and you know, you need to stock in and you'll do that first part of the sequence. You get your arrow set, mm-hmm. move the rest up, look at the site, get everything all totally good to go. Right. Yeah. Um, totally. so, so with that sequence, that al- allows you to do it the same way every time. 
a lot of guys don't realize that you might have to do it in a different order if you don't do it that way. So it's all kind of one and the same. Uh, we talked about wearing the rangefinder and the bino harness. Like that's that's really important, or you're just going to break your sequence, right? Yeah. Would you wear the backpack too every time? Well, I guess the closer uh, you get to season, maybe you start wearing more stuff or how would yeah, you Yeah, I think the nice thing about a backpack is it's not really, it's like not part of the shot sequence. So mm-hmm. all you're doing with that is you're really just checking it doesn't interfere. Oh, okay, okay. Right, so it's like, yeah, wear it a few times, once or twice, and just make sure that it doesn't really do something funky. And I'd shoot pretty long range with that on. Mm-hmm. Just make sure it doesn't do something really funky with your your accuracy, right? Or it doesn't catch a string or something stupid like that. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is so interesting because I'm realizing my, when you talk about shot sequence, it's different when you're doing your just like archery shot sequence. And then like when you're doing your shot sequence with an elk, because now you got the range finder in there. You got like when you're knocking the arrow, it matters. So it almost extends your shot, shot sequence. Yeah. And even, you know, we're really, really fortunate, blessed out here to have some amazing, amazing up walking ranges like three or four in the bay area right mm-hmm. but some guys might not have that and uh i would say even if you look pretty stupid at your 20 yard range ranging the target every time you shoot mm-hmm. like just do it because that'll teach you it'll teach you so much about your range finder in that process because um, otherwise your shot sequence is what it's just pull out arrow shoot something yeah so consciously moving that range finder into that shot sequence is going to really mess with it yeah. Oh, that's so smart to practice that. Otherwise, my first time doing that new shot sequence would have been in the actual scenario, which is a uh, easy way to just get in your head. Yeah. And it, you know, so one thing that pays here is you do, you can't magically develop that like shot sequence, subconscious shot sequence out of nowhere. Like it does pay to consciously think about it at first. Yeah. Right? To step back and be like, what are all the things I need to do? maybe write them out in a little list on a piece of paper and then just be like, why am I doing that after that or that before this, or, you know, what is, what's there. And so getting that all in the right order and then forcing yourself to do that order every time, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it becomes subconscious and then you don't have to think about it. Right. Yeah. So you have to totally. kind of take a little bit of effort right at first to be like, Hey, this is how I'm doing it. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the way I've done it in the past. Right. And yeah. And actually my first one-on-one lesson I, he gave me, we worked out a shot sequence for me. It had like eight steps, I think it was. Cool. And then after that, whenever I was at home shooting my backyard, every single step, I just put one, I associated one word with mm-hmm. each one. So it was like stance, grip, mm-hmm. draw, anchor, you know, like yep. that. And then I did that for a couple months. Then I went in and he noticed something. Uh, we swapped one of, the, one of the steps in my shot sequence. Yeah which was the trigger finger first before aiming. Um, and I've been practicing that so much since then that like today, this morning, when I practiced, I didn't consciously think about each word. They just started happening. Like, all right, yep. like this, this is just how it feels. And then one tip he added was for me to call the shot, like bad or good, like the, yes. a good shot or a bad shot. And just close that loop in my brain to start associating and like trying to distinguish what's a good shot. What's a bad shot. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. That's a really good, uh, you've got some good people helping you out, you know, like that's a, that is really critical for hunting too. And we'll talk about that a bit later, but mm-hmm. like your ability to call not only like good or bad shot, but to say, Ooh, that one's going to go a little to the right. Right. That right. awareness, proprioception, proprioception is the awareness of your body and what it's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so like with your eyes closed, could you put your thumb next, you know, an inch from a table? Right. Oh yeah. yeah. That's, that means your body is very aware of exactly 
you know, how, where it is and what it's doing. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with that. And if you're able to say, yeah, that one went slightly right. Cause shooting, you know, if you're doing it well, you're not focusing too hard on the target, right? You're not like to the point, long story short, you're not going to be able to see your impact a lot of the time. Yeah. You might, but it's like, you're not gonna be able to see the exact moment where it went, your eyes might refocus, something might go weird. So if you know in your head, I was aiming here and I think it went a little right, that that level of confidence is really important to knowing like, should I track this faster or slower or, you know, what's going yeah. on? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, one of these days we'll get, we'll get Roger, my instructor on the podcast. that will be a cool one. Yeah. No. And I've been, yeah. I've only been shooting archery for five or six years now, five years. So like a guy like that has been doing it for 30, 40, just mm-hmm. so much more knowledge, right? I'm adamant about this stuff, but like there, there's no replacement for displacement, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> some of these guys, uh, it'd be a great guy to get on, but yeah. And that's, so that's it on shot sequence. It sounds like you've already kind of got that dialed, which is awesome. Um, you don't have a slider, but the other one for me, like a good proof of this working is that I used to shoot arrows. You were there once when I shot one over the top of a target because I didn't reset oh, yeah. the slider. Got up on top of the bale and dug it out with a knife. Um, was really impressed by that day six insert that it lived through that. Um, and uh, yeah, you could. I integrated that into my sequence that I never shoot over targets anymore. You know, so for guys oh. listening that have sliders, like that shows the just how powerful shot sequence can be. Because I now visually check the slider to see that it's on sixty, which is the top end of its range. It's not have a five pin. Um, so, that's that's so you go mm-hmm. arrow knocked range, then slider, and then you go through your shot sequence. I go, what do I do? I go pull arrow out of quiver, arrow knocked right side up, uh, raise rest. Mm-hmm. Then I look, you know, after I raise rest with thumb, I point, I kind of use my pointer and I point at the little like uh, sight tape because on the inside with the Montana black gold sights and I look at it and I go 60. So I always think of my brain 60. So I look at that thing, it's not on 60. I'm like, what? Yeah. So it's a nice little part of the sequence, but got it. Okay. So it's unique for everybody, right? But at least mm-hmm. you've got one, which is important. Yeah. So that's a really good transition because you got, you have the front end of the sequence, right? Which is things that everybody needs to do and they're pretty unarguable. But then you've got the back side of the sequence, right? And the back side of the sequence is you've already drawn, you've got everything, but there might be different things you could throw in there, right? One might be checking, am I pulling into the wall of the bow? One might be, is my peep aligned? One might be, is the bubble and my sight level you know, aligned? The other might be, is my shoulder low? The other might be, is my wrist high or low, right? There's about a trillion things you could personally put in that shot sequence. And there's zero way you can check 20 things, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a target archer, maybe, but not in hunting. Um, so the question is, you know, you've got a finite amount of things you can put in there, five or 10. So which things go in there? Uh, and this is why I'm a huge advocate of intentionally making bad shots. So let me explain that statement because guys are like, wait, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. So what I mean is the only way to know what really affects the accuracy or where your arrow is going is to do it the wrong way. Interesting. So you've heard from a lot of guys, you know, don't torque your bow right? Yeah. Yeah. But do you know exactly what does happens when you torque your bow? Uh, I don't, I only know what happens when I torque my bow on accident. <laughs> yeah. And you don't know how much, like, is it bad torque? Is it light torque? And like, is yeah. that four inches at 40 yards? Is that an inch? Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what I'm talking about. Making intentionally bad shots. It's going out to the range, picking on, you know, distance and shooting one arrow and being like, okay, that was good form. 
then shooting another arrow, intentionally torquing the grip, grip a little bit to the right. And then now, now in your brain, you've got some really great things that are happening. First is you now know what torque feels like. Yeah. Right. Because you're intentionally doing it. So your brain is like, ooh, that's not good. Right. Versus before you might have not subconsciously done it and not really known what it felt like because you weren't thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And two, you go down range and you're like, oh man, that goes six inches to the right. That's right. a big deal. Right. Or you go down range and you're like, I really torqued the hell out of that and it went an inch to the right. That doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so you're able to go try all these different things and go, ooh, that's something that really affects my accuracy. That needs to be part of my shot sequence. Oh, or you're like, no, that thing right there just mm, doesn't really matter with my individual bow and my setup, right? Because this is always personal. Everybody's yeah. bows are tuned differently. And one thing that might really change one bow might not change another. Yeah. And you can go, okay, no, no, no. That's that's really important or that isn't. Interesting. So what are some some bad shots you would recommend practicing? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem with this is it could be doing. pretty much everything, but I think like the biggest, and I do this all the time. It's one of my like four or five things I'm always practicing at the range is I'm always picking one little thing and I'm tweaking it a tiny bit mm-hmm. just to see um, changing your grip, right? So torquing left to right or doing a higher low wrist, which is like putting more pressure or less pressure on your palm, right? Yeah. So up and down, left to right on the grip. That's a huge one. That's like the basics of, of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, misaligning your peep intentionally. So like align your peep where you can just barely see the pins on the inside of it. And it's like way off alignment with the housing of your site. Mm-hmm. And you know, try that out, see what that makes a difference of. Because that's actually a really common one. People don't realize it, but it's pretty easy to drift out of your peep because you're so focused on the target and the pin that the peep kind of starts. You can't focus on three things at once. You can only do two. Mm-hmm. Um, so just try that out you know, can't your bow, which means leaning it, you know, the bubble level, like intentionally go left to right. Spoiler alert, you'll, almost everyone's going to notice that makes a big difference, but try it out because there's only one way to know. Um, Knocking your arrow upside down. Oh, right. And again, these are all in the article, so don't worry about writing it all down. But like, you're knocking your arrow upside down, that'll happen sometimes. So you're freaking out, you're going fast. Yeah. Does it, does it hit something? If it doesn't, you'd probably be okay. But if it makes contact, that is going to be a really important part of your sequence, right? You might need to put a, make sure you have a sticker on your arrow or something that really tells you it's a line. Mm-hmm. Back wall pressure is a big one. You're pulling hard into the back wall with these 80, 90% let off bows we have nowadays. It's really, really easy to be dwelling somewhere in the middle of the valley of the bow, mm-hmm. just kind of in this vague area. And when you're in the middle you have a shorter draw length and you have less force in the arrow. So it's going to dramatically affect the spine and the way that thing is going to come out of the bow. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're shooting a few shots, really pulling hard into the back wall and shooting a, full, a few shots kind of creeping forward until right before it takes off. That's a good one. Uh, anchor points, like changing your anchor point, right? Like if you don't have a really consistent anchor point on your cheek or something, like intentionally move it up your cheek, down your cheek, side to side you know, just to see what effect that anchor point has on your shooting. And then you're raising or lowering your shoulder. I'm, I'm going off, like I'll be done now, but like, there's a ton of these things that really make a difference, right? Yeah. But to be able to uh, try each one out and just see how it's affecting it rather than like, oh, that was a bad shot, but I don't know why it was a bad shot. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. I never thought about that. It'll really make you a better archer and it'll help you figure it out. So for me personally, like with my personal situation, Again, it doesn't maybe apply to you, but side to side torque doesn't matter that much. Like I don't, 
my body doesn't have a hard time with doing that. Generally, if I get a good grip, I'm going to be fine there. But up and down pressure on the PSC I'm shooting really makes a difference because it's so oh, light. Interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's part of my sequence is I think I don't, I don't know how to describe it. I can't even really, I just think about the amount of pressure on my thumb pad. I like go yeah. down and hit that pressure after I've drawn. Um, the peep thing doesn't make a huge difference. So I don't worry too much about it. But the leaning in really does. So I'm always you know, part of my sequence is checking my bubble levels. Mm-hmm. Good. And that's one of the last things. Um, back wall I've noticed really helps. Like a firm back wall pressure really stabilizes the pins and just leads to good shots. Yeah. And then for me personally, lowering, I have this bad habit of letting my front right shoulder creep up. Remember, I'm a lefty shooter, but mm-hmm. you know, that letting that creep up. So thinking consciously about drop your shoulder. Yeah. Uh, so those are two or three things that I've learned really affect my accuracy. And they're part of the five or six things I think about in the back side of my shot sequence. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to go try those out and just see how, how badly they affect the shot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. Like it's kind of an interesting part and you'll learn, you'll learn things that a lot of guys don't know about your own setup. And again, if it gets to the point at subconscious, you're now such a deadly hunter because that stuff just happens, right? Versus other guys have to think about it to make it happen, right? Yeah, Not that totally. we're competing, but I mean, you versus your old self, right? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big difference. Yeah, because as of right now, when I shoot, you know, that three spot target and one of them goes into like the eight ring, I'm like, whoa, what the, like what happened? Like, I actually don't know what happened. I just know it felt wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't know what was specifically wrong. So that's really, that's a really unique uh, approach to practicing. Yeah, because it kind of teaches your body the full range of things it can do wrong. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you know, sometimes you'll let the arrow off and you'll be like, oh man, I know my shoulder was up or like, oh man, I know this happened, you know, and you'll yeah. learn kind of what was, what was going on. And you might, you know, the other way I've had it happen is when I was first doing this, I also, that back wall thing, for some reason, other things fall into line when I do that. For me to pull hard into the back wall, I have to drop my shoulder. I have to have good pressure on the grip in the right spot, right? Cause you need mm-hmm. to pull against those things. Yeah. And so for me mentally, personally, right? Not everybody, but when I pull really hard into the back wall, it like, it forces me to have good form in other places. So you might luck into a little gem where you're like, oh, that really makes me shoot well. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So you found the, like that first domino that like, if you take care of that one, the rest fall into place. Exactly. Yeah. And so you don't really have to make those part of your shot sequence or think about them. Uh, You just have to think about that one thing. Yeah. Uh, So simplify, simplify, simplify. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of my that's kind of my whole thing on shot sequence and like why you should be practicing quote unquote wrong. Um, it sounds like you've got a lot of those already, which is pretty cool, man. You're on the way, on the way with yeah, that I stuff. Think, yeah, I just never consciously practiced a bad shot before. So actually, that's probably what I'll be doing now here for the next couple of weeks. Every now and then, you know, go to the range and then for one of the targets, just practice a bunch of bad shots and or yeah. maybe practice one kind of a bad shot and just see yeah. where they all land. It's yeah. really, really important to try to isolate it, right? So you want to yeah. theoretically do everything else. It's like A-B testing, right? You want everything else perfect and just change one thing because otherwise you mm-hmm. don't know which of the things it was. Uh, yeah, so maybe... It's hard to do, think. but... Uh, yeah, maybe next time I go to the range, I'll do the first target. I'll do like yeah, one of them, like grip. I'll grip it all wrong and just shoot <laughs> through the first target. Then the second one, I'll do like the peep and misalign it all wrong. And then the third one, I'll do the bubble. And then... Yeah during the second half of the that shooting day then i'll just shoot correctly the second half or something yeah and it might take you know it might take a few shots because unless you're really really good you're not 100 percent confident your baseline shot was good right 
Mm-hmm. So you might want to do it instead of going for trying to do 10 in one session, I might pick one, maybe two and just do it a bunch oh, of times okay. to be very sure of what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, you know, and a word of the wise on this stuff too, like <laughs> start small, <laughs> you don't grip your bow and like just twist it to the side. Um, <laughs> that's a not realistic, but B you can actually derail your cams if mm-hmm. you do it too hard, which is dangerous. Uh, and also start like on a close target. That's pretty big. Yeah, like some yeah. things you do are massive differences, and yeah, you, know, you don't want to lose arrows. So, mm-hmm. totally. uh, did it at twenty yards with a you know bail or something like that. Yeah, but, gotcha. Uh, yeah, it's good. And then also, I mean, you've learned this the hard way too. But group shooting is is really bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm so scared to shoot groups now with this new uh, with these new arrows that you built. Yep. It's yeah, I get nervous. Well, it's a really easy thing to do. You you don't have to shoot groups because a lot of targets have you know, multiple target faces on them. Mm-hmm. Or you can even, if it's an animal, you can be like, well, I'm going to shoot the tip of his horn and I'm going to shoot the armpit right there. And all you do is you just go up and you find what you were aiming at and you measure the distance from that to your arrow. And then you compare it to the other thing you're aiming at to the distance of your arrow, right? And it's really yeah. easy to tell what they would have done if you shot them in a group anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not that big of a deal, but yeah, it's a great way to ruin arrows, group shoot. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing that can protect an arrow from that. Um, yeah, so let's let's get into the really fun stuff, like actual elk situations, like things you want to mimic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is the hard thing about these is like sometimes you can't really practice them in flatlands or other areas, but there's ways to get around it. Um, so I'll just run down a list of some of these, and we can talk about like situations I've had where this actually was really important and the questions you've got, but. Uh, we talked about trying out gear, right? Like that's just mandatory. Anything you're ever going to wear or use, at least shoot with it once. So puffy jacket, which can be really hard in California because it'll be like July, August. And you'll be throwing <laughs> on your super heavyweight puffery, but hey, one shot, right? Um, so doing that, I've seen both strings catch on jackets, the inside of the sleeves, the backpack, little additions, the way your, your, uh, hydration thing runs over your shoulder i've seen that oh, catch yeah. both strings mm-hmm. uh, so just always try that stuff out right that's a really good one to practice mm-hmm. um, the biggest one though of all the things i can say is like practice shooting around trees or obstacles because around elk trees. hunting like you're in the timber most of the time most of the time and elk are their survival instinct is always put something between them and a perceived threat yeah and they almost always even if they don't know you're there, there's something in their brain that's like this, even if they think is something right, they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so shooting around or between trees is super, super key. Right. So when you say that, like to illustrate it, do you mean like me standing next to a tree or behind a tree and then just slightly over to the right? So the target like peeks out over the tree or is there a tree like in front of the target and then I have to move over to like see the target? All the above really oh, okay but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know the best situation i can think of is you go out to like a pine tree forest and just drag a foam target throw it down between a bunch of pine trees walk 40 yards away and then be like okay i gotta shoot that thing oh, and you're kind of like okay. dodging and weaving and looking um but you can practice uh, you know you can set it up so you're practicing side to side and up and down for example i think you saw me do this once at sf archers i was shooting through the branch of a tree oh yeah i did i did i think i did yeah, through a tree branch, like stopped early on a hole. You got to be safe, right? So you don't want to shoot somewhere you're not supposed to, but if you know you're fine, you know, and shooting intentionally through a tree um, every time. And uh, with that, the most important thing is to learn the difference about under and over. You know, with an arrow as a general rule, 
you can never shoot under something almost never because it arcs upward during its flight yeah right um but you can the counterpoint to that is you can shoot something even if it even if it's behind a branch because your arrow is probably going to arc up and over that branch especially the further away you get Mm -hmm. Uh, so for example if you're aiming at 40 yards you come to full draw and you put your 40 yard pin exactly where you want to aim and there's a branch halfway between you and the elk you know that's at 20 yards right Mm -hmm. so all you've got to be able to do is look at your 20 yard pin and if your 20 yard pin clears that branch you actually can shoot right because it's going to arc right over the branch right over that right you have this perfect thing that tells you where your arrow is going but that's somewhat easy to describe that's really complicated when you're in the moment Um, yeah so practicing that there's a great you know you were up at uh redwood bowman right there's a great hole on the backside where you are kind of creeping up and you just see the target appeal appear over the top of a hill Mm -hmm. and i'll shoot that every time where i can't see like i'll go find where i can see the target and i'll drop down to like where i can't see it and put the pin kind of on it right below the line of vision and let it shoot over the top of the hill right oh wow okay i'll have to pay attention to, to that next time i go yeah and so that's a good one um you know shooting through trees is a great one um, around them moving a little bit like you said kind of because there's almost very very often to make a shot happen with an elk you kind of have to shuffle three or four feet to the left or the right so moving i mean it's dangerous like be careful but you know moving at full draw and getting comfortable with that and being able to like look down and not ruin your form is yeah is a good one too okay yeah that's good uh standing crouching sitting sounds like you're kind of practicing some of that but like sit down kneel um you're gonna learn a lot about your form and your setup really quick actually i don't practice those enough i'm always pretty much always standing um so i need it so crouching does that mean just like you bend your knees and then yeah in oh, the second man. year i shot an elk actually um the second year i shot an elk i did that i was crouching down on my knees we got behind a log uh, and it's also really important when you're behind something, you know, I'm generally an advocate of like be in front of things, not behind them, especially with good camo, but it does happen. Your arrow is going to come out of your bow way below the line of sight of your, your bow sight. So I've seen plenty of videos and situations where guys, well, I remember one where a guy was hunting doll sheep and he put the, you know, put the sight on it, but the arrow came out of his bow and hit the rock right in front of him. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, in his sight, it was clear, but the arrow comes out like five inches lower. So it clipped that rock. Um, yeah. So little things like that, that you learn now, they can save you that once in a lifetime shot. Right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So try that out. Um, you know, maybe try a blind start. I'm just getting creative here. Like put your bow on the ground, look at your phone. And then all of a sudden, be like, now I got to shoot. It's like, you got to scrabble around, grab your bow knock it you know what i mean it's like a realistic situation if you were yeah. caught unaware at your tent or you were uh you know sitting at a wallow and lost attention or something like that mm-hmm. so that's a good one um what other good ones oh up and down hill yeah this is almost a guarantee with elk right like okay. you're there there's very few flat parts of elk country and so you're practicing shots that are like 30 to 45 degrees Mm-hmm. Dirt can only be so steep, but trying to practice those shots ahead of time makes a big difference. Um, and that, I don't know if your instructor already told you this one, but when you have to preserve form going up or down hill, you actually have to hinge at your hips. Because mm-hmm. if you move your arms up or down, if you think about it, your arms, you ever seen that picture of the man doing like jumping jacks and there's like a circle around the naked guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
your arms create an arc, right? They make a circle. Mm -hmm. And so if you lower your arm, you're actually shortening or lengthening your draw length. Right. So your arms always have to be at shoulder height directly opposed. And the only way you can move your body is to take your hips and push your hips out to the left or the right. And that tilts your entire torso and keeps your arms in that same relationship to your shoulders. Right, right. So yeah, hinging instead of like bending everything. Yeah. So part of my shot form. sequence when I'm shooting up or downhill is I draw perfectly level mm -hmm. and get set up. And then I just hinge up or down with my hips yeah. to get to the point I'm aiming to. And it looks really funky. Trust me. Like you look like a weird stick figure, but <laughs> that's what I've learned. It makes me accurate up or downhill. Right. And I had to yeah, do that I a bit. To... Even when I was sitting, I had to go left. I remember distinctly remember like really arcing onto the left butt cheek. Mm hmm. Because if I hadn't, I would have been pushing my arm up to get to that elk uphill. Um, oh, interesting. And that, I mean, that was a three or four inch gap in the trees. It was tiny. And that might have been the difference between catching a fletching and that arrow just doing something really weird, right? Yeah, gotcha. I need to practice the uphill, downhill a lot more. Um, the walking range is good for that. But yeah, I need to stay at those shots a lot longer. It is. And it's a really difficult one to practice, right? Like there's only one or two holes that have that. So... Mm -hmm. You know, if you, you're fortunate enough to go like random times, like go then and be safe about it. But you know, do that one over and over or just pick different spots on the target and shoot all 12 arrows or whatever. Yeah, uh, right. And you know, for guys that are in their backyard and stuff, you can get up on top of things mm -hmm. if they're safe. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the downhill, the thing about uphill and downhill is they're basically the same shot. It's just slightly different. So yeah, if you're really good at a downhill shot, you're good at an uphill shot and vice versa. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else here? Other things that happen. Oh, letting down. Like, uh, I know this is not fun and guys really don't like it. This can also really hurt your shoulder if you're borderline too much draw length. So be really careful with how much you do this. Probably do it mm -hmm. at the end of a session. Like really listen to your body if it's starting to scream a little bit. But there's plenty of times you come to draw in El Country and you're like, this is not going to happen for a minute and I don't want to be shaking or... You know, I'm going to let down. So being able to let down and know that with this bow, you can do it in a way that makes no noise could make or break your shot. Yeah. That's one I have, I've been avoiding a lot. <laughs> my, my instructor said, if it doesn't feel good, let it down. And that's a bad habit of mine. Like sometimes it doesn't feel perfect. And I, I just let the shot go and I've yep. been upping my poundage too. So now I'm like a little nervous to let yeah. it down. So that's a, huge area that i need to work on yeah and it's it's another gut check right like if you can't let down and mm -hmm. you're not comfortable letting down like back off your bow you know there's yeah. not you'll still be able to tune it it'll be fine and that extra three or four pounds is really not going to make a big difference in you know whether you can kill an elk or not yeah, I definitely have to practice that one because sometimes I let down and the arrow flies down and go, ding, and you know, it just hits the bow like so many times and it's super loud. Yeah. Yeah. And then what are two other ones that come to mind? And you've seen me practice these once or twice with you, I think. One is like shooting really quickly. Uh, oh, yeah. There are situations, and I, I got to be careful here because guys might call foul, but there are situations where an elk is at 20 or 30 yards and 20 or 30 yards is a like a layup you should be able to put something inside of a six inch circle at 20 30 yards without any conscious thought or paying attention to any of your shot sequence mm -hmm. yeah guys will be amazed how fast you can just whip it up and pew. and that makes a huge difference in really fast elk encounters and so you've seen me where i've literally drawn and shot within half a second mm -hmm. um, and it's astounding if 
like how accurate you are. You're almost never outside of a four or five inch circle. Oh yeah. Especially at that distance, right? I'd never do that at like 40 or above, but at 20, 30 yards, you can just, and I mean, if I, all the elk have shot 28, 32, 33 and 35 yards, that's almost always pretty close mm-hmm. in the thick timber. Uh, so practicing shooting really quick like that and being able to get something out of your bow really fast instead of taking your normal four or five second shot sequence you can be a good one if you've got that split second shot and i'm not advocating you shoot at something running or something where you're not sure of where you're shooting but if the elk stops for a second you're like i know exactly where i need to put this Mm -hmm. that can be a really good one yeah should you also practice um you know making a noise to stop an elk and then shooting right after that noise I, i love it josh you're you're all over it man you're just you're hitting him, right? <laughs> it's the things. Yeah. And a good one on that is that the elk almost always take one to two steps after you make the noise. Oh, okay. So like if you go, you know, mew, give them a little mew, they, uh, they don't freeze right then. They take, I don't know how to describe it. It's like if someone yelled at you when you were halfway through a step and your leg was up, right? you're almost always going to put the next foot down and stop, or at least mm-hmm. even one more step just because you have so much momentum. Um, yeah, just, at least complete the step. It's not like they just freeze mid snap in the air. Yeah. Okay. So if you're mewing it at a bull that's coming through a gap, you have to actually mew at him. Like when it's really messes with your head, you have to mew at him when his vitals are behind the tree on the front side of it. Oh, cause it's going to appear right. Oh. Cause then he'll like walk right by and go, what? And stop with it. In the open. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's a really good one. Especially if you're going to have a call in your mouth, which you probably should, mm-hmm. uh, because yeah, nothing worse than <laughs> my wife's called for me once or twice when she was brand new, and there's some pretty amazing sounds that can come out of those things <laughs> in the heat of the moment. <laughs> we had one or two elk that uh, <laughs> thought there were aliens in the bushes or something. Um, uh, then, I've been there. I'm not making fun of her. Like we all, you got to learn, right? Yeah. Um, and would you practice the opposite of having to just hold your draw for like super long? And then I don't, I don't even need to list these out for you anymore. You're all over them. Yeah. <laughs> practice that, you know, that, that minute and a half, right? 30 seconds to a minute. Mm-hmm. Well, first you're going to learn how long you can hold. Yeah. Because right? most guys don't even know that they've never done it until their arms are just nuking. Uh, but then you'll also learn how accurate you are. Right. And so yeah. as we talked about last episode, like everyone's effective range changes by the second. Mm-hmm. And like being an ethical hunter is it's about knowing yourself really well. I know thyself. And so if you're like, I've been holding for a minute and a half and something steps out at 80 or 60 or 50 yards, and you're like, I just can't make that shot. That's not an ethical shot, even if it's yeah. well within your range normally. Um, mm-hmm. Versus you'd be like, oh, well, something's at 20 yards. I could hold for two minutes and I might, you know, forever it might take me a week for my deltoids to feel the same, but. I can at least shoot it. Yeah. So that also helps with the letting down. Cause if you know, you can only hold so long and you're like, I think this is going to be longer than 30 seconds. Then you let down. Right. Yeah. And then, um, in all the videos that you watched of, you know, hunters, bow hunting elk, what, what do you think are like some of the most common, common scenarios? I, I guess uphill downhill is probably one of the factors that's almost guaranteed. What, what are some others? There's two, like the two big reasons guys miss elk. Like so far, I was still, you know, I do this every week, right? I watch elk videos for fun. But number one, like we said, is ranging. They don't range the elk. And I've done this too. Yeah, that one time I missed an elk was the second year I was hunting and I'd killed one in Colorado. We went to Idaho. Um, 
<laughs> my wife was like, let's sit here. I'm like, there's no elk that's going to come through here. She's like, I just have a good feeling about it. She wasn't hunting. I was like, okay. Sat down. Sure enough, 20 minutes later, one walked out. And so this is also a good thing for you to know, like always knock an arrow when you're sitting or doing anything. Like if you're stationary in any way, size, shape or form, like just knock an arrow. Oh, interesting. That extra, or if you make a call. Yep. If you make a call, anything, okay. and that extra step or two, if they're standing there looking at you is impossible. But if you've already got it knocked, you can get it up and shoot really quick. Yeah. Um, and so I had to, you know, I was panicked. I wasn't in my normal shot sequence. I had to go through the whole thing. I had to pull the arrow out, stick it in the bow, do this thing. He stopped and looked at us from 35 yards away for like 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a combo of two things. We talked about this in the other episode. I'd knocked my sight without knowing it. I hadn't marked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know how to tune my bow that well. Um, and so it was eight inches low. And I called 35 at 20. <laughs> oh, I was so stressed. Did you I not have your like, range finder with you? I did, but I was too panicked to grab it because he was sitting there looking at me. Right? Oh, wow. And in hindsight, like I would always range, yeah. always, always range, unless you're 90% sure where he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've held mid body, dead mid body, which I always do. Uh, we'll talk about making shots later. But the combination of the site being eight inches low and it being at 35, not 20 that dropped it about two feet was just, just enough for it to nick the bottom of the brisket as he right. walked away. Um, it totally was fine for him, but led to two days of frustration of us trailing him until we were hundred percent sure he's live. And, Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really important one. Yeah. And so was, is that an exercise you would do? Cause I, I was, you know, I got my new rangefinder, so I was playing around with it on the walking trail or the the archery hiking trail. Mm-hmm. And I would like look at an object and I would just guess like 20 mm-hmm. and I'd put the rangefinder and I'm like, oh, dang it, 24. And I'd look at another one. Is that 50? And I'd look at it. Oh, no, it's only 30. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's, you hit another. Yeah, that's definitely something I do. I'm always trying to call it. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll be totally honest with guys. Like uh, the other day I was at the range two days ago. I was at the range with my wife. Um, great photo of her on Instagram today shooting with 37 weeks pregnant, right? It was hilarious. <laughs> great. But she's an unbelievable trooper. Yeah. But I was like, oh yeah, that's 84. And it was like 67. <laughs> <laughs> so I've learned something, right? I've learned that I suck at ranging. And so I don't, I never, ever, I'm just never going to ever shoot without ranging. Like I just right, don't right. know myself, like, unless it's 20 or 30 yards or I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But that's another good one to practice, right? To intentionally do wrong is shoot 25 at a 20, shoot 65 at a 60. And you're going to see the difference at range with the arc of your arrow. Right. Yeah. And so if you're doing that, you know, a lot of guys will go to the range and they'll always find the perfect 30 yard shot. And it's like, no, shoot 33, man, shoot 36, 35.2 and learn about the arc of your arrow. Cause inside of 25, 30, almost everyone's rig is going to be pretty, like there's going to be almost no drop, Mm -hmm. but depending on how fast your arrow is going, there's going to, you have to kind of find the point at which you're like one or two yards off makes a massive difference. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be mistake number one is not ranging. What would another common mistake be? Uh, the the second most common thing I've seen is guys hitting uh, overhanging branches. They shoot oh, underneath stuff. Okay. Uh, I don't know why. I think in the heat of the moment, you just see a gap and you're like, gap. And they shoot and they they hit something with the arrow in midair, whether okay. it's underneath it to the side of it. That's uh, You see that all the time. And it's always like a really loud thwack. And the guy, same thing, just like you know, falls to the ground and grabs his face. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what have I done? Because um, it's, again, another reason to practice kneeling. If you go to full draw, say there's something 60 yards away, and you're kind of under a tree in this little hole, and you 
go to full drop, put your 60 pin on it. And you look and you're like, oh man, my 20 or my 30 is hitting that. You can drop to your knees. Oh yeah. Right. It's pretty easy. Just drop down to your knees and then drop to your butt. Very easy to do. But if you haven't practiced that, or you don't know how to do it. Um, you know, and that could be the difference between getting the clearance you need. Um, so, I mean, as you can see, just all these things, they're different types of practice. And it, this, like, I'm, I'm so convinced that the way you practice is going to be more responsible uh, for you getting elk or not. Wow. Yeah. I've been practicing like, and I guess it's good that I've been practicing in the most basic elementary, like I guess, fundamental way first. Mm -hmm. Cause then now, since I've got that decently under my belt, now I can practice all these crazy scenarios and get more comfortable. Otherwise, if I didn't do this and I go out there and I was used to clear open lane, like full yep. flat, you know, 20 yards, then it would have been so new and weird that the chances of that shot going through and under pressure too. Would you recommend, I think I might've asked you this before, but I was even thinking like take two espresso shots before going to practice. Cause your heart's just going to be racing <laughs> yeah. like it would be in the real situation. I'll give you a healthier alternative, which is to put your pack on and run up oh. and down a hill. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah that's a, uh, <laughs> you know, there's the two of the ranges we've got close by has some good hills on them. If the guys yeah. don't have hills, they've got steps if they don't have that they can do push-ups or jumping jacks like just mm -hmm. get your get your body ripping um yeah it'll teach you how to calm down your heart rate and you know what really starts again affects you because you might be like wow if i'm this go if i'm this tweaky i can't shoot past you know x distance right 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 okay so that's I'll, a good one yeah yeah uh, drop down do like some push-ups and jumping jacks and then yeah i haven't i know you asked me this once too but i haven't found competition or people watching you to be as good because mm -hmm. it's a different type of pressure it's like a social pressure mm, i don't know how yeah. to describe it and so you know everything it can't hurt but uh i don't i think i'd recommend getting your heart rate up versus that because it's a little different you're not worried about what the elk thinks about you, you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, totally because I, I was not. thinking that too at the range i was like because there's this kid i always see at the range daniel and i'm like hey maybe we should start betting like a dollar like just like on like a, a, a vegas style you know like just yeah. so we're like maybe that's sure. good just to practice more with intentionality like because you're trying really hard instead of like being lazy but yeah i was just thinking that pressure maybe yeah whatever does it for you you know for me i've learned I think you've seen this too, the times we shot together before times of COVID was, uh, I actually, the hardest shots for me are like 50, 60, mm -hmm. uh, or anything really between 30 and 60s. Cause like, I don't really, in my brain, it's not far enough out yet that I'm worried about it not going right. Mm -hmm. And it's not close enough that it's easy. So it's kind of this middle ground where I don't mentally try as hard. I'm kind of just like, okay, yeah, go. Yeah. And I always joke my worst shots are always at 60. Um, but at a hundred, I'm like totally engaged. I'm thinking through every little step I'm paying right. to, you know? And so, uh, you can get down on yourself about that, or you can just be like, that's the way it is. And like, go practice at a hundred because mm -hmm. trust me, when you pull back on an elk, you're going to have the same level of motivation at a hundred. Right. And so just yeah. practice unique scenarios that get you excited and get you turned on that you're really, really paying attention and you're trying hard, mm -hmm. uh, because that's going to really improve your shooting yeah and i remember this just popped in my head another one that you did with margaret i think you had her hold the bow with an arrow knocked mm -hmm. not not at draw but just down and then she closed her eyes and like you spun her yep 
and then you said open your eyes acquire the target draw and then shoot yeah that was interesting too it was and there's definitely ways you can do this even better with a partner um and for her that was me practicing i think the hard thing about a range you always know where the target is and elk hunting the target's moving and you might yeah. not even know where they come from especially if you're sitting a wallow or you're calling doing a calling sequence mm-hmm. and we talked about the importance of waiting 45 minutes to an hour every time you call but that means they can come from anywhere and so that's what i was trying to replicate with her as i said you know get that knocked and i'm just going to slowly turn you around i'm not going to make you dizzy and i'm just let you hang out for seconds so you're totally fine then i want you to open your eyes and i wouldn't let her range before you know, I'd even sometimes oh. I'd make her close her eyes and I'd walk her 10 or 12 feet closer to the target or away, mm-hmm. do that. And then be like, okay, now open your eye, you know, go for it. And so she'd open her eyes and really quickly, she had to look around, find it, range it, then shoot. And that's right. That's a really good thing to practice too. Yeah. I'm just picturing the guy who's like watching me next time I go to the, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just doing all this. Funky yeah. Stuff. Oh, yeah. It's- wearing my full camo with the backpack like yeah (laughs) well here's but that's the that's a really good note to end on maybe is that uh here's the reason this is so deadly is that when things go wrong you don't realize what you could have done better unless you've practiced it yeah that makes sense so a guy that's hunting might say oh that shot you know i just missed it um nothing i could have done about it it was between a tree and the tree was in the way and it was uphill and like those two things it was just an impossible shot and to him, it is an impossible shot because he's never tried it. He doesn't know what's possible. But mm-hmm. if you've practiced both those things, you now know, you know, you now know that's possible and you know what you could have done right. And so yeah, it's very, you can get locked into this world where there's a lot of excuses and reasons you won't take shots on elk. Mm-hmm. But practicing this way, trying things intentionally wrong, making sure that you uh, go through a sequence and practice realistic scenarios is going to open your world. And that's, that's the difference of like getting an elk or not is it's pretty easy to find elk at a few hundred yards. It's closing that distance and getting a shot off is the single most difficult thing in elk hunting. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Now I'm getting nervous about like all the different scenarios I got to prepare for uh, and calling sequences and learning how to call. And I'm sure we'll get to it, but yeah, well, it's good. I mean, it gives you pressure to start. You still got two months, right? But it's, Mm -hmm. you're right. There's a lot of different things and like, uh, this knowledge for me was hard one, right? I didn't know this day one. I didn't think this way the first year or two I hunted elk. It was just over time, you know, each of those different scenarios, uh, let me think, let's look steep up and down hills, um, with a long draw last year, uh, the year I didn't get an elk two or three years ago. Um, there, we had a bunch of elk cornered in this high Alpine Valley above tree line. And I was in the last stand of trees and they had two ways they could go left or right of me. Margaret's kind of back down to my left and they kind of, they went left when they were going right initially. So I was in the wrong position. Bull, uh, five by six bull. And we talked about this dropped 72 yards away, came mm-hmm. to full draw and had to hold it for like a minute. Right. Mm-hmm. And then wind like 15 mile per hour wind coming across and my bow wasn't tuned well. And so it, I've now we've got three or four things compounding. And like we talked about last time, I didn't take that shot. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I now know the two or three things that I really want to practice. Another is like if you can make sure you find an exposed target with a ton of wind coming from the side. Mm-hmm. That's going to really teach you how to hold your bow steady or when to time your shot when you're shooting in the wind. So there's like, all those things you learn, and if you're observant and you're really 
caring. Yeah, you might not get an elk this year, but if you learned those five or 10 things, you are your leaps and bounds beyond guys and you're going to be able to get one next year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not working now. So I think this September, I think I'm going to try to hunt as much as I can that month. <laughs> that, uh, that would be a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm sure there's a lot of guys that'll listen to this and want to kill for that opportunity. Yeah, totally. Um, and then, uh, also I had another thought I was watching one of those videos. Um, and the guy made it, what he thought was a perfect shot and it ended up being a terrible shot, but mm-hmm. he kept saying afterwards, he kept saying, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I shot it. Perfect. It felt perfect. But when you practice these bad things, then you can start to wire your brain, like what's good and what's really not good. So yeah, yeah, this is very valuable. Yeah. We talked about that earlier and the ability to call your shot is so much more important for hunting because there's a lot of times, uh, especially if you're shooting well, where you're not trying to force it right where you're letting your pin float and you're just pulling and it kind of surprises you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, your pin might float a little bit back on the vitals. It might float a little bit forward. It might go somewhere weird. And if you, you know, you let go and it's still in the vitals, but it's on the right side and you felt like, Oh, I torqued it right. But you know that when you torque the bow to the left, the arrow goes to the right Mm -hmm. and you get, you knew that you did a medium amount of torque and you're able to call, Hey, I know it's probably six inches to the right at that distance. Mm -hmm. Now you're like, Oh man, that might be a liver one lung shot. Like we really need to let that elk sit for four hours and not go get near him right. versus if you're like that guy, you're like, I don't know. I don't know. And mm-hmm. then you can't really react to that scenario versus if it, your pin was dead in the middle, it breaks and you're like, that felt perfect. And it was dead yeah. smack in the middle. I mean, I'll, that's what happened to me with that bull last year. When I released that shot, I was like money. Like it just felt good. Nice. I've never felt that good with my bow shooting as I did the week before season that year. I mean, I have some photos up and I, I wish I get back to that state, but it was like hundred percent confidence. I'm putting things in six inches at 80 yards, which is, I've never had that happen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it released, I knew it was in a good spot. It went dead straight in the middle. When he ran off, I saw a little tiny spot of blood, looked at the arrow and it was foamy. Mm-hmm. I waited 10 minutes. Most guys would freak out if you told me you only waited 10 minutes. And like, I know this thing is down. I know it's down within a few hundred yards and it's going to get dark and that gave me an extra 30, 45 minutes of searching, which was everything that meant we found it that night and we butchered it into the night. Yeah. So those are two really good examples of why being able to know your, your shot is, that's going to make a difference. Yeah. I was already excited to practice and man, now I'm really excited. (laughs) Even more fired up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I think this has been a good one. Um, This is, these are all the little things that keep adding up, right? This is what's Mm going to make you a, make you a good elk hunter. Yeah, totally. An archery blacktail opens up in three weeks. I'm going to go just to be out there and learn what it's like to backpack with a bow in your hand the whole time and there you get go. used to that. So it's good stuff. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk offline about some, some good spots. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Cool guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week.